0: We're going to be doing this episode a little differently. I'm going to say it, and you're not going to like it. But you're just not good enough. Well, I might not think that about you, but do you know who does? A $532 billion industry. In this episode, I'm going to let you in on the beauty industry's dirty little secret, oh my. Let's get into the seven ways the beauty industry convinced women that they weren't good enough. Are you ready? Welcome, my love buckets. I'm Carissa, host of Beauty Unlocked, the podcast. Howdy hi, folks. How's it going? How's everyone doing? I hope you're all well and surviving with these kind of shifting energies. I know the energy has been very heavy, and I'm not the only one to feel it. Um, Bit a bit tired, that's for sure. So I'm probably not the only one who's been feeling it. If you're feeling a bit exhausted, tired, just fed up with everything, know that you are not alone. Um, there are many of us that are feeling the same way. So I'm sending you many, many blessings, my love buckets, and know that we will all get through it. I have so much to unload for this juicy episode, and as I mentioned before in the intro, it's going to be a bit different, but before I get into it, we got to do some house cleaning, Are you ready? There are so many ways you can support the show. And one of them is head on over to Instagram and join the family, Beauty Unlocked Podcast. Also, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts. It's that purple icon and you can leave a five star review, a short review, you know, five stars and a short review. Doesn't have to be a paragraph long. Um, Great show. Tune in. It really does help the show climb up the charts and it helps us get discovered by other people and then hopefully they become part of the Beauty Unlocked family. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. It really helps us and I would be eternally grateful. And last but certainly not least, we have a YouTube channel so head on over to YouTube and subscribe to Beauty Unlocked the Podcast, our channel, and this is a great way to tell you more about this episode. Now, when I upload the episodes, they are automatically uploaded to our YouTube channel, the the audio versions obviously. But this this episode, I decided to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to be recording this twice, I guess you could say. One is going to be the audio version, which will not be released onto YouTube, but I'm going to also be releasing a video version. So you get to see me, Carissa, and you're probably thinking, why would I ever want to do that? (laughs) But you'll get to see me and actually see my reactions when I'm reading these articles, especially this one. Well, any article, really, because I'm constantly confoculated by what I read. And I'm just like, wait, what? Um, So you'll get to see my face. Um, my expressions, and my reactions. Another way that we're going to change it up a bit this episode, you know I'm a creative soul, so we're going to be razzling and dazzling it up a bit. We're going to be putting some 1920s music because I feel like when I'm reading these ads, I need to put it into the context of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and possibly the 50s. I don't know why, but we're going to be reading it as if it's like a newscast, radio broadcast with some 1920s music to it so are you ready we're gonna get into it here we go seven ways the beauty industry convinced women that they weren't good enough stay tuned for more in america the perennial quest for beauty is an expensive one every year women spend billions of dollars in exchange for beautiful hair luxurious eyelashes and smooth silky skin Oh my. Still, many of our culture's most common beauty procedures were virtually non-existent a century ago. The truth is, many of our expectations of feminine beauty were shaped in large part by modern advertisers. We've tracked the history behind some of the most common flaws that besiege the modern woman and the surprising stories behind their cures. Here are seven insecurities women have been fed by marketers. Your natural hair color isn't pretty enough. Does she, or doesn't she?" asked the Clairols ad that launched a million hair dye jobs. Indeed, the aggressive Clairol marketing campaign would trigger an explosion in sales. In the process, the percentage of women dyeing their hair would skyrocket from 7% in 1950 to more than 40% in the 1970s. The ads showed everyday women reaping the benefits of more lustrous hair, a luxury that had long been exclusive to glamorous supermodels with professional dye jobs. The ads proclaimed, If I only have one life, let me live it as a blonde. Indeed, Clairol peddled the perfect yellow shade of the dye as a way to transform your life. Their hair dye offered self-reinvention in 20 minutes flat, particularly for women who didn't want to reveal their true age or their grey roots. Shirley Polykoff, the advertising writer behind Clairol's goldmine ad campaign, described her plan as such, For big success, we'd have to expand the market to gather in all those ladies who had become stoically resigned to their gray hair. This could only be accomplished by reawakening whatever dissatisfactions they may have had when they first spotted it. Clairol did that with ads like, How long has it been since your husband asked you out to dinner? Well, fuck me, Karen. It's none of your business. Nowadays, about 90 million women in the U.S. color their hair, according to a 2012 IBIS World Report. Your body hair is gross. Today, women in media are generally depicted sans body hair, or mocked for daring to bear it. Oh my. But surprisingly, from the 16th to the 19th century, most European and American women kept their body hair au naturel. What changed? According to researcher Christine Hope, the answer lies in fashion and advertising. First, in 1915, came what Hope called an assault on the underarm. A burst of advertisements warning women that unsightly, unfeminine underarm hair must be shaved to look as smooth as the face. Otherwise, no dancing for you. Next, came an explosion of ads encouraging women to shave their legs to look more attractive in sheer stockings and fashionable swimwear. By the end of World War II, shaving had become an expectation for American women. Ads in the 60s and 70s continued espousing the unfeminine nature of body hair. The bikini arrived on the fashion scene in 1946 and brought with it next contested body hair territory, the bikini line. The Brazilian wax was imported to the U.S. in the late 80s and popularized by mainstream media in the 90s. Today, pubic hair removal is pretty much a staple amongst young American women. 80% of women between the ages of 18 and 34 remove at least some of it. And according to research, many of them are motivated by their desire to conform to social norms or appear more feminine. Even now, hair removal ads, like Veet's recent Don't Risk Dudeness campaign, target the same female-specific anxieties they did a century ago. Your skin is too dark. During the late 19th century and early 20th century, skin lightening became increasingly popular among black women in America. Skin bleaching was seen as more than a beauty ritual. It was a symbolic way to progress in a prejudiced society, where lighter-skinned black people encountered comparatively better treatment. Advertisers exploited those prejudices in the beauty industry, promising women that they could occupy higher positions socially and commercially, marry better, get along better, and be more beautiful with lighter skin. In this 1944 ad, lighter skin is equated with lovelier skin. The actual products were seriously dangerous. Most contain the chemical hydroquonine, which is also used to develop photographs. The chemical has been banned in Australia, the EU, and Japan, but remains legal in the U.S. These motherfuckers. During the 60s and 70s, the skin-lightening market dipped in popularity as the Black is Beautiful movement grew. The movement encouraged black people to embrace their natural features rather than attempt to conform to white beauty norms. Cosmetic companies quickly softened their rhetoric, and the phrase skin-lightening was changed to the somewhat more innocuous term, skin-brightening. The smiling 1962 ad below promises bright, light skin even on the rainiest day while neglecting to mention the possible side effects of mercury poisoning. Today, skin lightening continues to be practiced around the world, with particular popularity in Africa, India and Pakistan. The annual global market is expected to reach 10 billion by 2015, though many of the products still come with serious health risks. Actually, your skin is too light. In the early 20th century, sunbathing became a popular doctor's prescription for many illnesses. The supposed health benefits, coupled with a major boom in advertising, created the widespread belief that, as Harper's Bazaar surmised in 1929, If you haven't a tan look about you, you aren't part of the rage of the moment. Soon after that declaration, beauty companies began selling specialized suntan lotions. Some researchers believe that, because the tanning fad created a new cosmetic market, it also provided a market incentive for the tan to remain an enduring American beauty expectation. And endure it did. In the 1970s, new health concerns about the risks of cancer from sunbathing did not end the craving for a tan. They just created more opportunities for the beauty industry to market new products that could promise protection or fake a natural tan that would have every beach bum staring. The medical world continues to warn of the dangers of overexposure to the sun. The quest for the perfect golden tan hasn't faded away. Many people just choose to fake the effect. Since 2000, the self-tanning product manufacturing has experienced meteoric growth that is expected to continue over the next five years. Your cellulite's an eyesore. It must be banished. Until 1830, large women were generally considered more beautiful and fashionable, and master painters lauded their curves, laud my curves, cellulite and all. Since the mid-20th century, however, the ideal female form has become increasingly slender. Over the same period of time, cellulite was introduced and demonized as a major public enemy of the ideal female body. In 1968, Vogue magazine seized on the term, decreeing that, like a swift migrating fish, the word cellulite has suddenly crossed the Atlantic. Some members of the medical world scoffed at the sudden cellulite anxiety that ensued, calling it an invented disease. Whatever you call it, cellulite affects between 80 and 90 percent of women, and fighting it, as well as mocking it, have become marketable American obsessions. Being a female celebrity with any cellulite on your body is practically considered criminal. In 2014, cellulite remains an unconquerable enemy, and women continue to spend big bucks on products that are often inadequately tested and ineffective in the long term. Your unmanicured nails are unsightly. Go fuck yourselves. Northam Warren began producing what was generally considered to be the first fingernail cuticle remover and nail polish in 1911. He also kicked off an advertising campaign that would spawn the modern nail polish industry. Ads cautioned women about the embarrassment of having unmanicured fingers. Business exploded from 150,000 in 1916 to 2 million by 1920. Having manicured nails became a way to display wealth and elegance, proving that you were above lowly manual labor. Oh my god. And if you thought you could hide those unmanicured hands, this 1923 ad had news for you. At every move of your hands, your nails are conspicuous. Many people judge you as severely by the appearance of your nails as by the cut of your gown or the brilliance of your conversation. Go get fucked, Karen, and learn how to mind your business. <clears throat> <clears throat> the sales pitch worked. In 1912, only a quarter of women used products on their hands or fingernails. By 1936, three-quarters of women did so. During World War II, q nail polish even appealed to women's national pride. Today, nail polish and the services that go along with it have become beauty staples for women. As of 2012, Americans spent a record 768 million on the stuff. Your eyelashes aren't long enough. Why don't you just tell me that my bumhole is not pink enough? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, but you have. Anal bleaching is a thing. Now back to your eyelashes. Historically, women darkened their lashes with everything from elderberries to resin, but mascara products didn't emerge until the 20th century when T.L. Williams founded Maybelline. The brand's popular 10 cent mascara swept the nation. While makeup has once been considered immoral by some, oh my. Immoral. Hollywood actresses made it glamorous. Women were promised the sultry eyelashes of their favorite actresses. As more mascara products emerged, companies began making numerous claims about the lengthening and volumizing effects of their products. Major cosmetic companies have come under fire for misleading advertising methods, like using false eyelashes on models. Hmm. Even so, the quest for longer lashes has grown into a full-fledged beauty and pharmaceutical market. As Nancy LaWinter, editorial director of OneStopPlus.com, told the Huffington Post, five years ago, the lashes you had were the lashes you had, and you threw mascara on. Today, you're getting extensions, you're using Latisse. We've got the whole area of obsession over eyelashes. Because, hey, your eyelashes could always use another millimeter or two, right? Well, then, we've made it to the end of that very insightful article written actually was written back uh, in 2014 and it was updated in December 2017 and it was written by Amanda Schirker for the huffingtonpost.com so it was a very interesting article and i decided to to change it up a little bit because i know that the previous episodes were quite heavy so i was like let's make this one a little bit different and i hope you enjoyed it although quite shocking um At how the beauty industry convinces us that we're not good enough um i actually did some research to find out how much two million a hundred years ago was well 101 years ago two million dollars in 1920 um today would be equivalent to 26 million dollars um so that was the whole nail polish industry the unmanicured nails and i was like what 101 years ago two million dollars would be the equivalent equivalent of 26 million dollars today i'm just like what the actual fuck but it goes to show you how marketing and advertising works they just kind of they check they not even check they just tell you this is a flaw and this is what you need to get rid of that imperfection that flaw and they just make these insecurities come out of nowhere So uh, it was just a very, again, another very insightful article. And we have talked about the history of advertising in previous episodes. And we did talk about how the beauty industry and health and wellness industry feeds off of these insecurities that they place upon us. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, I will be uploading it a day earlier, so it will be uploaded on Thursday. And then keep an eye out because I will be uploading the YouTube video of me reading this article, but you'll actually see the whole setup and you're going to see my expressions. And so, yeah, so stay tuned for that. With all that being said, I hope you have a lovely rest of the week and a lovely and safe weekend, and you'll hear from me very, very soon. Bye.